I'm back. I'm back. How'd I do? 250 seconds? How was it? How close did I come? What was my number? 251? Ah, rats. <laughs> Thanks for keeping track, Kerfos. All right, y'all. Are you ready, kids? I don't know why that was a that was like it was a very bad impression of that person. Uh, let's see. I gotta reload my video player because it's being a little weird. Okay, good. We're all set. Okay, y'all. Thank you very much for voting. I appreciate it. It looks like the winner is indeed uh, that uh, we are going to sort out an alternative time for a side karaoke stream, and we're gonna try and do all these suckers at once because apparently y'all were a big fan of that one last time. I'm okay with that. I'm pretty cool with that. I think last time we went into it with like five on the board and I ended up doing nine. This time we're going into it with eight on the board. I'm not sure what to do about that. We're gonna have to figure out like, <laughs> I might have to up my number for y'all. Cause that stream, that was like, that's a lot of singing folks. <laughs> that's a lot of singing, especially if you give me some real buck, buck wild characters. Um, hey, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out. You've got, you've got, you've got eight on the board. Would you like to wager them all or stay safe? I don't know. We'll turn it into a game show of some kind. <laughs> we need, we need, we need to like, if we're going to turn this into a full stream, especially if y'all are going to keep going absolutely, if you're going to keep annihilating all of my stuff every month, <laughs> like if this becomes a regular thing uh, and we have to do like a side karaoke stream every month, we're going to have to figure out ways to like, to, to, to hang out on that stream, aren't we? We're gonna have to figure out some, some new traditions to include in that stream. So, y'all, welcome back. My name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories. Uh, for anyone who's wondering what's going on here, well, uh, we do stories here on Sidecar Stories, and right now we are launching into a new story inside of an old story. Hmm, oh yes, it's very, it's very interesting, it's fascinating. It's a, a scientific pursuit we've been running after for quite some time. Uh, we have figured out a way to input a story into a separate story. It's book four of the Percy Jackson the Olympian series. Uh, we are moving on through. Uh, we've been making quite a bit of progress. Uh, I am now moving over into the... Not that I was doing a great job anyway of keeping track on the Harry Potter discussion chat over in Discord. But Alina Carrick says, I never thought I would say this, but... I am so glad to hear Filch's voice. Indeed, it was a, it's a fun one. Filch's voice is a lot of fun. Uh, it was one of the ones where I was sort of listening back to the, during, as I've been doing my edits and thinking like, yeah, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Um, I, I miss a lot of those voices and I've noticed my, my Hermione can't really keep up with that anymore. We'll have to figure out what to do about that uh, if we ever come back to a reread of that one. All right. So, everyone, I love you. It's great to have you here. And I hope you will enjoy Percy Jackson, the Olympians, book four, The Battle of the Labyrinth. Now, we have, uh, we've been sort of running up to this one for a while. I really appreciate everyone's patience uh, as we have been sort of moving our way toward this, but we had to go back and do a bunch of rereading. We're officially done with that now. So next week, you can expect we're going to be right back here continuing this story. We're officially launching into Percy Jackson book four. No pauses, no stutter steps, no going back. I mean, I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure we'll have to do something like that at some point. But we will be... Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, just a second. I got a, I got a message from work.
Okay, there we go. Um, I'm sure we'll have to, you know, figure some other stuff out at some point in the future. Just the way that this last year has been, it's been a weird year for Sidecar, folks. Certainly not a bad one, because, like, every time something bad happens, y'all are like, ah, how about not? How about not? Let's make this a good month instead. And so every time something, like, wacky is going on, y'all are like, ah, psh. I've got, let me give, let me give you your headline. <laughs> Uh, train marauders uh, absolutely annihilate a hype train. So, I appreciate that very much. But, uh, yeah, weird stuff has come up frequently over the last year. We're going to roll with the punches. So, let's talk a very small bit of review. Because, of course, um, we're going into a new book. Uh, last book, right? We've been following Percy Jackson. Uh, he has discovered he's a demigod. And not only that, but he's kind of an important demigod. There is a significant prophecy regarding... Maybe his life? Maybe the life of someone close to him? My, my freaking chair. <clears throat> um, uh, maybe the life of somebody close to him, but he knows that there is, there's sort of trouble on the horizon. He knows that before some demigod's 16th birthday, they will sort of decide the fate of Olympus as a whole. Um, they are going to, they're going to be the ones that determine the outcome of this battle that has been sort of brewing, not raging yet, but brewing certainly between titans and gods. I've got some WD-40 here in my hand. I'm going to see if I can do review and also unsqueakify this chair at the same time. That's right, call me Doc Ock. I assume y'all have seen the trailer at this point? You should have. Um, I don't get like super hype about that stuff usually, but hey, it's good to see Alfred Molina again. Nope, that didn't work. <laughs> and I immediately stopped doing the review. The gods are um, anxious about this. And they even consider sort of, you know, like, destroying Percy for, for being a threat to them. Uh, it seems like Percy is... Percy's not in great shape here. Whatever happens, uh, Percy is going to be highly scrutinized, especially by, as we discover at the, the end of the last book, um, uh, the goddess Athena. This is none other than uh, uh, Annabeth's mother. Um, and so we can pretty well guess that, you know, it's going to be it, it's going to be a lot of scrutiny. Uh, it's going to be God's focusing on Percy when he doesn't want the attention. And there's not a lot he can do about it other than try to sort of straighten up and fly right. Um, we, we know that uh, with all the things that are going on, Kronos is not done. Uh, in spite of the fact that they've sort of overcome Kronos's big push to, like, get a new pawn involved on the table, um, Talia, by joining the hunt, is never going to turn 16. So, uh, she is no longer sort of a, a piece on the chessboard, as it were. Um, but, we've got a new one. As we discover at the very end of the last book, Nico D'Angelo is not just the son of a demigod. Nico D'Angelo is the son of Hades. We believe Bianca D'Angelo to be dead, and Percy had made a promise. Percy made a promise to Nico before, uh, before they went on this quest that he was going to protect Bianca, and that's not what went down. Nico is young, he doesn't understand much about his life and what has become of it, and he's furious. But 
Percy and Annabeth and Grover decide not to tell anyone about that. So, that's where we're at. Dahlia says, Oof, I am so down for a side karaoke stream. It was a bonanza. It wiped a lot of us out for a couple of weeks, so it's a good way for us to give what we want, which is to, to get what we want, which is singing Sam, give you a couple of weeks break afterward. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Rose says, and I was right. Bam, it only took two and a half books for it to be confirmed. Indeed, Orly Rose. Orly Rose, the Oracle. <laughs> Oracle Rose. Oracle Rose is a pretty cool... If we weren't always already using Rose for, like, one or maybe even a couple of things over in Recetus, I think the, the Oracle Rose would be a very cool detail. But... That is all right. We've got more stuff to name, and as as we mentioned before, like the smaller it is, the more likely it is to share a name with something else. There have got to be, you know, uh, Tanner's bridges all over the place. If you want to know what on earth I'm talking about, well, you can find that at uh, <laughs> I believe it's. Let's see. Um, I'll just put in the link for right now. Um, but this link is going to be changing to a spot that's a little bit more organized. As a matter of fact. You know what? Ignore that link. I'm going to have uh, Sander, if you are still in, if you want to give out the new link, if you think that it's that it's like ready for viewership. Um, it's still very rough, but that is the wiki for the world that we are creating together, the realm of Recetus. Um, it has been just infinite fun so far, and I think it will continue to be so. Uh, Dahlia says, sorry to hijack your spout lore stream yesterday. No, 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 no. No, 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 I say. I say it was very good things that we discussed there, and it's very exciting. Sander, thank you very much. Uh, go, Y'all go and jump into that link that Sander just popped in chat there. Um, and you can find out what I'm talking about. It's, a, it's been some fun streams, and we've put together a lot of fun lore. Um, and I think next week we will probably have to dedicate some time to actually getting that put onto the wiki itself so that it's visible, um, as opposed to just sort of hanging out in note form. All right, folks. I think we have done an appropriate bit of review. We are launching in, not knowing where we're going to arrive. Uh, I can tell you that... I can only tell you that last book, we sort of dropped in in the middle of the action. I gotta figure out where my... There it is. Alright, I'm gonna do... I'm gonna try this this quick spray, because I really... Y'all know how I get about my recordings. And this is not gonna give me a good recording if I'm hearing... This all the time. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn off my AC and try this once and see if this works. Alright, where are you at, you son of a gun? I'm gonna get you. I don't know what's squeaking, but I'm gonna find you. <laughs> Got a bunch of bunch of bolts down here. I'm just gonna spritz everything with WD-40. There will be no escaping my wrath. I'm sure that there will be. What? I'm gonna sit down on this thing. It's gonna go. All right. AC is off. I'm gonna sit down. I'm going to be. Super confident that this is going to be totally fine. All right, let's find out. Son of a gun. I don't know what's making that noise. Whatever. All right, I said I was going to try it once. I'm just going to have to sit especially still. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's one thing I'm known well for. Okay, here we go, folks. This is the wrong intro music. <laughs> I 
Chapter 1. I Battle the Cheerleading Squad The last thing I wanted to do on my summer break was blow up another school. But here I was, Monday morning, the first week of June, sitting in my mom's car in front of Good High School on East 81st Street, which is going to sound very funny that I keep saying Good High School over and over. It's G-O-O-D-E, as in like a last name. Good was this big brownstone building overlooking the East River. A bunch of BMWs and Lincoln Town cars were parked in front, staring up at the fancy stone archway. I wondered how long it would take me to get kicked out of this place. Just relax. My mom didn't sound relaxed. It's only an orientation tour, and remember, dear, this is Paul's school, so try not to, you know, destroy it. Yes. Paul Blofus, my mom's boyfriend, was standing out front, greeting future ninth graders as they came up the steps. With his salt and pepper hair, denim clothes, and leather jacket, he reminded me of a TV actor, but he was just an English teacher. He'd managed to convince good high school to accept me for ninth grade, despite the fact that I'd gotten kicked out of every school I'd ever attended. I tried to warn him it wasn't a good idea, but he wouldn't listen. I looked at my mom. You haven't told him the truth about me, have you? She tapped her fingers nervously on the wheel. She was dressed up for a job interview, her best blue dress and high-heeled shoes. I thought that we should wait, she admitted, so we don't scare him away. I'm sure orientation will be fine, Percy. It's only one morning. Great, I mumbled. I can get expelled before I start the school year. Think positive. Tomorrow, you're off to camp. After orientation, you got your date. It's not a date, I protested. It's just Annabeth. Mom, jeez. She's coming all the way from camp to meet you. Well, yeah. You're going to the movies. Yeah. Just the two of you. Mom. She held up her hand in surrender, but I could tell she was trying hard not to smile. You better get inside, dear. I'll see you tonight. I was about to get out of the car when I looked over the steps of the school. Paul Blofus was greeting a girl with frizzy red hair. She wore a maroon t-shirt and ratty jeans decorated with marker drawings. When she turned, I caught a glimpse of her face, and the hairs on my arms stood up. Percy? My mom asked. What's wrong? Uh, nothing, I stammered. Does the school have, like, a side entrance? Down the block on the right. Why? I'll see you later. My mom started to say something, but I got out of the car and ran, hoping the red-headed girl wouldn't see me. What was she doing here? Not even my luck could be this bad. Yeah, right. I was about to find out my luck could get a lot worse. Sneaking into the orientation didn't work out too well. Two cheerleaders in purple and white uniforms were standing at the side entrance, waiting to ambush freshmen. Hi! They smiled. I was... Hi! They smiled, and I figured I was the first and last time a cheerleader would be friendly to me. I... 
Ooh, boy, oh boy, folks. I'm not even trying to read, like, I'm trying to hit about 20,000 words tonight. I'm not even trying to hit, like, 24,000, 25,000. Good grief. Hi! They smiled, which I figured was the first and last time any cheerleaders would be that friendly to me. One was blonde with icy blue eyes. The other was African-American with dark, curly hair like Medusa's. And believe me, I know what I'm talking about there. Both girls had their names stitched in cursive on their uniforms, but with my dyslexia, the words looked like meaningless spaghetti. Welcome to good, the blonde girl said. You are going to so love it. But as she looked me up and down, her expression said something more like, Ew, who's this loser? The other girl stepped uncomfortably close to me. I studied the stitching in her uniform and made out Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, she smelled like roses and something else I recognized from horse riding lessons at camp. The scent of freshly washed horses. It was a f weird smell for a cheerleader. Maybe she owned a horse or something? Anyway, she stood so close I got the feeling she was going to try and push me down the steps. What's your name, Fish? Fish? Freshman. Uh, Percy? The girls exchanged looks. Oh, Percy Jackson, the blonde one said. We've been waiting for you. That sent a major uh-oh chill down my back. They were blocking the entrance, smiling in a not very friendly way. My hand crept instinctively toward my pocket where I kept my lethal ballpoint pen, riptide. Then another voice came from inside the building. Percy? It was Paul Blofus, somewhere down the hallway. I had never been so glad to hear his voice. The cheerleaders backed off. I was so anxious to get past them, I accidentally kneed Kelly in the thigh. Clang? Her leg made a hollow, metallic sound like I'd just hit a flagpole. Ow! She muttered. Watch it, fish. I glanced down, but her leg looked like a regular old leg. I was too freaked out to ask questions. I dashed into the hall, the cheerleaders laughing behind me. There you are, Paul told me. Welcome to good. Hey, uh, Paul? Uh, Mr. Blowfish? I glanced back, but the weird cheerleaders had disappeared. Percy, you look like you've seen a ghost. Yeah, um... Paul clapped me on the back. Listen... I know you're nervous, but don't worry. Got a lot of kids here with ADHD and dyslexia. The teachers know how to help. I almost wanted to laugh. If only ADHD and dyslexia were my biggest worries. I, I mean, I knew Paul was trying to help, but if I told him the truth about me, he'd either think I was crazy or run away screaming. Those cheerleaders, for instance. I had a bad feeling about them. Then I looked down the hall and I remembered I had another problem. The red-headed girl I'd seen on the front steps was just coming in the main entrance. Don't notice me, I prayed. She noticed me. Her eyes widened. Hey, where's the orientation? I asked Paul. The gym, that way. But, bye. Percy, he called. But I was already running. I thought I'd lost her. 
A bunch of kids were heading for the gym, and soon I was just one of 314 year olds all crammed into the bleachers. The marching band played an out of tune fight song that sounded like somebody was hitting a bag of cats with a baseball bat. Other kids, probably student council members, stood up front modeling the good school uniform and thinking, hey, we're cool. Teachers milled around, smiling and shaking hands with students. The walls of the gym were plastered with big purple and white banners that said, Welcome future freshmen. Good is good. We were all family. And a bunch of other happy slogans that pretty much made me want to throw up. None of the other freshmen looked thrilled to be here either. I mean, coming to orientation in June, when school didn't even start until September, was not cool. But at good, we prepare to excel early. At least that's what the brochure said. The marching band stopped playing. A guy in a pinstripe suit came to the microphone and started talking, but the sound echoed around the gym, so I had no idea what he was saying. He might have been gargling. Someone grabbed my shoulder. What are you doing here? It was her. My red-headed nightmare. Rachel Elizabeth Dare, I said. Her jaw dropped like she couldn't believe I had the nerve to remember her name. And you're Percy somebody. I didn't get your full name last December when you tried to kill me. Look, I wasn't... I didn't... What are you doing here? Same as you, I guess. Orientation. You live in New York. What, you thought I lived at the Hoover Dam? It had never occurred to me. Whenever I thought about her, and I'm not saying I thought about her, she just like crossed my mind from time to time, okay? I always figured she lived in the Hoover Dam area, since that's where I'd met her. We'd spent maybe ten minutes together, during which time I'd accidentally swung a sword at her, she'd saved my life, and I'd run away, being chased by a band of supernatural killing machines. You know, typical chance meeting stuff. Some guy behind us whispered, Hey, shut up. The cheerleaders are talking. Hi, guys! A girl bubbled into the microphone. It was the blonde I'd seen at the entrance. My name is Tammy, and this is like Kelly. Kelly did a cartwheel. Next to me, Rachel yelped like someone had stuck her with a pin. A few kids look, look a few kids looked over and snickered, but Rachel just stared at the cheerleaders in horror. Tammy didn't seem to notice the outburst. She started talking about all the great ways we could get involved during our freshman year. Run, Rachel told me. Now. Why? Rachel didn't explain. She pushed her way to the edge of the bleachers, ignoring the frowning teachers and grumbling kids she was stepping on. I hesitated. Tammy was explaining how we were about to break into small groups and tour the school. Kelly caught my eye and gave me an amused smile like she was waiting to see what I would do. It would look bad if I felt it would look bad if I left right now. Paul Blofus was down there with the rest of the teachers. He'd wonder what was wrong. Then I thought about Rachel Elizabeth Dare and the special ability she'd shown last winter at Hoover Dam. She'd been able to see a group of security guards who weren't guards at all. They weren't even human. My heart pounding, I got up and followed her out of the gym. I found Rachel in the band room. She was hiding behind a bass drum in the percussion section. Get over here, 
she said. Keep your head down. I felt pretty silly hiding behind a bunch of bongos, but I crouched down beside her. Did they follow you? Rachel asked. You mean the cheerleaders? She nodded nervously. I don't think so, I said. What are they? What'd you see? Her green eyes were bright with fear. She had a sprinkle of freckles on her face that reminded me of constellations. Her maroon t-shirt read, Harvard Art Department. You wouldn't believe me. Oh, yes, I would, I promised. I know you can see through the mist. The what? The mist. It's, it's like a, um, it's this veil. It's like a veil that hides the way that things really are. Some mortals are born with the ability to see through it, like you. She studied me carefully. You did that at Hoover Dam. You called me a mortal. Like you're not. I felt like punching a bongo. What was I thinking? I could never explain. I shouldn't even try. Tell me, she begged. You know what it all means. All these horrible things I see. Look, this is going to sound weird. Do you know anything about Greek myths? Like the Minotaur and the Hydra? Yeah, just try not to say those names while I'm around, okay? And the Furies, she said, warming up. And the Sirens and... Okay! I looked around the band hall, sure that Elizabeth was... Sure that Rachel was going to make a bunch of bloodthirsty nasties pop out of the walls. But we were still alone. Down the hallway, I heard a mob of kids coming out of the gymnasium. They were starting to group... They were starting the group tours. We didn't have long to talk. All these monsters, I said. All the Greek gods. They're real. I knew it. I would have been more comfortable if she'd called me a liar, but Rachel looked like I'd just confirmed her worst suspicion. You don't know how hard it's been, she said. For years, I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't... Her eyes narrowed. Wait. Good grief. <clears throat> Wait. Who are you? I mean, really. I'm not a monster. Well, I know that. I could see if you were. You look like... you. But you're not human, are you? I swallowed. Even though I'd had three years to get used to who I was, I'd never talked about it with a regular mortal before. I mean, except for my mom, but she already knew. I don't know why, but I took the plunge. I'm a half-blood, I said. I'm half-human. And half-what? Just then, Tammy and Kelly stepped into the band room. The doors slammed shut behind them. There you are, Percy Jackson, Tammy said. It's time for your orientation. They're horrible... Rachel gasped. Tammy and Kelly were still standing in their purple and white cheerleader uniforms, holding pom-poms from the rally. "'What do they really look like?' I asked, but Rachel seemed too stunned to answer. "'Oh, forget her!' Tammy gave me a brilliant smile and started walking toward us. Kelly stayed by the doors, blocking our exit. They'd trapped us. I knew we would have to fight our way out, but Tammy's smile was so dazzling it distracted me. Her blue eyes were beautiful.' And the, the way her hair swept over her shoulders. Percy? Rachel warned. I said something really intelligent, like, Uh... Tammy was getting closer. 
She held out her pom-poms. Percy! Rachel's voice seemed to be coming from far, far away. Snap out of it! It took all of my willpower, but I got my pen out of my pocket and uncapped it. Riptide grew into a three-foot-long bronze sword, its blade glowing with a faint golden light. Tammy's smile turned to a sneer. Oh, come on, she protested. You don't need that. How about a kiss instead? She smelled like roses and clean animal fur. A weird but somehow intoxicating smell. Rachel pinched my arm hard. Percy, she wants to bite you. Look at her. She's just jealous. Tammy looked back at Kelly. May I, mistress? Kelly was still blocking the door, licking her lips hungrily. Go ahead, Tammy. You're doing fine. Tammy took another step forward, but I leveled the tip of my sword at her chest. Get back. She snarled. Freshman, she said with disgust. This is our school, Half-Blood. We feed on who we choose. Then she began to change. The color drained out of her face and arms. Her skin turned as white as chalk. Her eyes completely red. Her teeth grew into fangs. A vampire, I stammered. Then I noticed her legs. Below the cheerleader skirt, her left leg was brown and shaggy with a donkey's hoof. The right leg was shaped like a human's, but it was made of bronze. A, a vampire with... Don't mention the legs, Tammy snapped. It's rude to make fun. She advanced on her weird, mismatched legs. She looked really bizarre, especially with the pom-poms, but I couldn't laugh, not facing those red eyes and sharp fangs. A vampire, you say? Kelly laughed. That silly legend was based on us, you fool. We are the Emposai, servants of Hecate. Mmm. Tammy edged closer to me. Dark magic formed us from animal, bronze, and ghost. We feed on the blood of young men. Now come on, give me that kiss. She bared her fangs. I was so paralyzed I couldn't move, but Rachel threw a snare drum at the Emposai's head. The demon hissed and batted the drum away. It was, it went rolling away. Actually, hold on. I got my, I got my, my singulars and plurals mixed up. She bared her fangs. Now I, now I'd lost my darn spot. Here we go. She bared her fangs. I was so paralyzed I couldn't move, but Rachel threw a snare drum at the Imposta's head. The demon hissed and batted the drum away. It went rolling along the aisles between the music stands, its springs rattling against the drum head. Rachel threw a xylophone, but the demon just swatted that away, too. I don't usually kill girls, Tammy growled, but for you, mortal, I'd make an exception. Your eyesight is a little too good. She lunged at Rachel. No! I slashed with Riptide. Tammy tried to dislodge my bri- Tammy tried to dodge my blade, but I sliced straight through her cheerleader uniform, and with a horrible wail, she exploded into dust all over Rachel. Rachel coughed. She looked like she just had a sack of flour dumped onto her head. Gross. Yeah, monsters do that, I said. Sorry. You killed my trainee, Kelly yelled. We need a lesson in school spirit, Half-Blood. Then she too started to change. Her wiry hair turned into flickering flames. Her eyes turned red. She grew fangs. She loped over toward us, her brass foot and hoof clopping unevenly on the band room floor. 
I am Senior Ambusa, she growled. No hero has bested me in a thousand years. Yeah, I said. And you're overdue. Kelly was a lot faster than Tammy. She dodged my first strike and rolled into the band section. She dodged my first strike and rolled into the brass section, knocking over a row of trombones with a mighty crash. Rachel scrambled out of the way. I put myself between her and the Ampusa. Kelly circled us, her eyes going from me to the sword. Such a pretty little braid. Braid. Such a pretty little blade, she said. What a shame it stands between us. Her form shimmered, sometimes a demon, sometimes a pretty cheerleader. I tried to keep my mind focused, but it was really distracting. Oh, poor dear, Kelly chuckled. You don't even know what's happening, do you? Soon, your pretty little camp in flames, your friends made slaves to the Lord of Time, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It would be merciful to end your life now, before you have to see that. From down the hall, I heard voices. A tour group was approaching. A man was saying something about locker combinations. The Impusa's eyes lit up. Excellent! We're about to have company! She picked up a tuba and threw it at me. Rachel and I ducked. The tuba sailed over our heads and crashed through the window. The voices in the hall died down. Percy! Kelly shouted, pretending to be scared. Why did you throw that? I was too surprised to answer. Kelly picked up a music stand and swiped a row of clarinets and flutes. Chairs and musical instruments crashed to the floor. Stop it, I said. People were tromping down the hall now, coming in our direction. Time to greet our visitors. Kelly bared her fangs and ran for the doors. I charged after her with Riptide. I had to stop her from hurting the mortals. Percy, don't, Rachel shouted. But I hadn't realized what Kelly was up to until it was too late. Kelly flung open the doors. Paul Blofus and a bunch of freshmen stepped back in shock. I raised my sword. At the last second, the Ampusa turned toward me like a cowering victim. Oh no, please, she cried. I couldn't stop my blade. It was already in motion. Just before the celestial bronze hit her, Kelly exploded into flames like a Molotov cocktail. Waves of fire splashed over everything. I'd never seen a monster do that before, but I didn't have time to worry about it. I backed into the room as the flames engulfed the doorway. Percy? Paul Blofus looked completely stunned, staring at me from across the fire. What have you done? Kids screamed and ran down the hall. The fire alarm wailed. Ceiling sprinklers hissed to life. In the chaos, Rachel tugged on my sleeve. You have to get out of here. She was right. The school was in flames, and I'd be held responsible. Mortals couldn't see through the mist properly. To them, it would look like I had just attacked a helpless cheerleader in front of a group of witnesses. There was no way I could explain it. I turned from Paul and sprinted for the broken bandroom window. I burst out of the alley onto East 81st Street and ran straight into Elizabeth. Elizabeth, come on. Yeah, to be fair, you did give me Annabeth and Elizabeth in the same book, so I'm going to I'm going to leave this one on uh on Ricky. <laughs>
I burst out of the alley onto East 81st Street and ran straight into Annabeth. Hey, you're out early, she laughed, grabbing my shoulders to keep me from tumbling into the street. Watch where you're going, seaweed brain. For a split second, she was in a good mood, and everything was fine. She was wearing jeans and an orange camp t-shirt with her clay bead necklace. Her blonde hair was pulled back in a ponytail. Her eyes sparkled. She looked like she was ready to catch a movie, have a cool afternoon hanging out together. Then Rachel Elizabeth Dare, still covered in monster dust, came charging out of the alley, yelling, Percy, wait up! Annabeth's smile melted. She stared at Rachel, then at the school. For the first time, she seemed to notice the black smoke and ringing fire alarms. She frowned at me. What did you do this time? And who is this? Oh, Rachel. Annabeth. Annabeth. Rachel. She's, um, she's a friend, I guess. I wasn't sure what else to call Rachel. I mean, I barely knew her, but after being in two life-or-death situations together, I couldn't just call her nobody. Hi, Rachel said, then she turned to me. You are in so much trouble, and you still owe me an explanation. Police sirens wailed on FDR Drive. Percy, Annabeth said coldly, we should go. I want to know more about half-bloods. Rachel insisted, and monsters, and this stuff about the gods. She grabbed my arm, whipped out a permanent marker, and wrote a phone number on my hand. You're going to call me and explain, okay? You owe me that. Now get going. But I'll make up a story, Rachel said. I'll tell them it wasn't your fault. Just go. She ran back toward the school, leaving Annabeth and me in the street. Hey, I jogged after her. There were these two emposai, I tried to explain. They were cheerleaders, see, and they said that the camp was going to burn, and... You told a mortal girl about half-bloods? She can see through the mist. She saw the monsters before I did. So you told her the truth? She recognized me from Hoover Dam, so you met her before? Uh, last winter, but seriously, I, I barely know her. She's kind of cute. I, I never thought about it. Annabeth kept walking toward York Avenue. I'll deal with the school, I promised, anxious to change the subject. Honest, it'll be fine. Annabeth wouldn't even look at me. I guess our afternoon is off. We should probably get you out of here, now that the police will be searching for you. Behind us, smoke billowed from Good High School. In the dark column of ashes, I thought I could almost see a face. A she-demon with red eyes laughing at me. Your pretty little camp in flames, Kelly had said. Your friends made slaves of the Time Lord. Your friends made slaves to the Lord of Time. You're right, I told Annabeth, my heart sinking. We gotta get back to Camp Half-Blood. Now. And that is the end of our first first chapter of Percy Jackson, book four. 
And let's see, it's 6.49 right now. We're not, we're, we are not ahead of schedule, that's for sure, but we're not as far behind schedule as we could be. So, everybody, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I will remind you, this is a, a the last of our weird episodes. Uh, my name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories. I think I might have just said that, but I'm going a little loopy right now, I'm going to be honest with you all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm that, that is my that is my sort of uh, my terrible admission to you all. I'm going a little wacky. <laughs> I'm not sure what the deal is. I slept fine last night, but I'm like I'm just sort of like <laughs> eyes wide. <laughs> um, the next chapter is going to be our final chapter for the evening. Um, and as we <laughs> Kerfos, uh, as we move into this final chapter i just want to keep y'all reminded uh we're going to be doing this again next week it sounds like the verdict on the side karaoke stuff is that instead of trying to do a few at a time we're just going to do one big one so uh we you go ahead and head over to the discord if you want to help decide on that and instead of sort of uh putting it off for too long i am going to put it in right now let's see what do we want it on we'll just put it i guess under the we'll put it as a a general chat one. Um, I'll start a quick thread here to help decide uh, when are we? When I'll just say when is side karaoke? Okay, um, so I've got it there. That'll be my reminder to get this started, uh, folks. Thank you very much for joining me, and I think we're just gonna roll right on into our next chapter. As I said, we're not terribly far behind, but we are behind, certainly. Uh, Eskar Lovett says, uh, finally got back to Twitch and missed you all, but I was listening on Discord. I'm Deb from PA. Well, it's great to have you here. Eskar Lovett, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Um, it, <laughs> thanks for the introduction, by the way. It's good to sort of connect a name to a name, you could say, I guess. But yeah, it's good to have you here. All right, folks, you ready to get back into it? I gotta rush through. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of like, you ever like run down a hill really fast and you feel like you have to keep running very, very quickly because if you try to slow your feet down, you're gonna topple forward. That's about where I'm at right now. So let's get it. Let's get it. Let's do this thing. Okay. Chapter two. The underworld sends me a prank call. Nothing caps off the perfect morning like a long taxi ride with an angry girl. I tried to talk to Annabeth, but she was acting like I just punched her grandmother. All I managed to get out of her was that she'd had a monster-infested spring in San Francisco. She'd come back to camp twice since Christmas, but wouldn't tell me why. It would kind of take me off, because she hadn't even told me she was in New York. And she'd learned nothing about the whereabouts of Nico D'Angelo. Long story. Any word on Luke? I asked. She shook her head. I knew this was a touchy subject for her. Annabeth had always admired Luke, the former head counselor for Hermes who had betrayed us and joined the evil Titan Lord Kronos. She wouldn't admit it, but I knew she still liked him. When we'd fought Luke on Mount Talampace last winter, excuse me, when we'd fought Luke on Mount Tamalpace last winter, I... he'd somehow... good grief. A prank call does sound a little bit like something Nico might do. Yeah, don't I got you, Deb. Don't you worry. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna try to remember that that name is connected to Escar Lovett. Uh, I will try. We we shall see how well I'm able to fare. 
But I got you, Deb. No worries. Okay. When we'd fought Luke on Mount Tamalpais last winter, he'd somehow survived a 50-foot fall off a cliff. Now, as far as I knew, he was still sailing around on his demon-infested cruise ship while his chopped-up Lord Kronos reformed, bit by bit, in a golden sarcophagus, biding his time until he had enough power to challenge the Olympian gods. In demigod-speak, you call this a problem. Mount Tam is still overrun with monsters, Annabeth said. I didn't dare get close, but I don't feel like Luke is up there. I think I would know if he was. That didn't make me feel much better. But what about Grover? He's at camp, she said. We'll see him today. Did he have any luck? I mean, with the search for Pan. Annabeth fingered her bead necklace the way that she always does when she's worried. You'll see, she said, but she didn't explain. As we headed through Brooklyn, I used Annabeth's phone to call my mom. Half-bloods try not to use cell phones if we can avoid it, because broadcasting our voices is like sending up a flare to the monsters. Here I am! Please eat me now! But I figured this call was important. I left a message on our home voicemail, trying to explain what had happened at Good. I probably didn't do a very good job. I told my mom I was fine. She shouldn't worry. But I was going to stay at camp until things cooled down. I asked her to tell Paul Blofus I was sorry. We rode in silence after that. The city melted away until we were off the expressway and rolling through the countryside of northern Long Island, past orchards and wineries and fresh produce stands. I stared at the phone number Rachel Elizabeth Dare had scrawled on my hand. I knew it was crazy, but I was tempted to call her. Maybe she could help me understand what the Emposa had been talking about. The camp burning, my friends imprisoned. And why had Kelly exploded into flames? I knew monsters never truly died. Eventually, maybe weeks, months, or years from now, Kelly would reform out of the primordial nastiness seething into the underworld. Kelly would reform out of the primordial nastiness seething in the underworld. But still... Monsters didn't usually let themselves get destroyed so easily. If she was destroyed. The taxi exited on Route 25A. We headed through the woods along the north shore until a low ridge of hills appeared on our left. Annabeth told the driver to pull over Farm Road 3.141 at the base of Half-Blood Hill. The driver frowned. There's not really nothing here, miss. You sure that you want out? Yes, please. Annabeth handed him a roll of mortal cash, and the driver decided not to argue. Annabeth and I hiked to the crest of the hill. The young guardian dragon was dozing, coiled around the pine tree. But he lifted his coppery head as we approached and let Annabeth scratch him under the chin. Steam hissed out his nostrils, like from a tea kettle, and he went cross-eyed with pleasure. Hey, Peleus, Annabeth said, keeping everything safe? The last time I'd seen the dragon, he'd been six feet long. Now he was at least twice that, and as thick around as a pine tree itself. Above his head, on the lowest branch of the tree, 
The Golden Fleece shimmered, its magic protecting the camp's borders from invasion. The dragon seemed relaxed, like everything was okay. Below us, Camp Half-Blood looked peaceful. Green fields, forest, shiny white Greek buildings. The four-story farmhouse we called the Big House sat proudly in the midst of the strawberry fields. To the north, past the beach, the Long Island Sound glittered in the sunlight. Still, something felt wrong. There was tension in the air, as if the hill itself were holding its breath, waiting for something bad to happen. We walked down into the valley and found the summer session in full swing. Most of the campers had arrived last Friday, so I already felt out of it. The satyrs were playing their pipes in the strawberry fields, making the plants grow with woodland magic. Campers were having flying horseback lessons, swooping over the fields on their pegasi. Smoke rose from the forges, and hammers rang as kids made their own weapons for arts and crafts. The Athena and Demeter teams were having a chariot race around the track, and over at the canoe lake, some kids in a green tri and over at the canoe lake, some kids in a Greek trireme were fighting a large orange sea serpent. Typical day at camp. I need to talk to Clarice, Annabeth said. I stared at her like she'd just said, I need to eat a large smelly boot. What for? Clarice from the Ares cabin was one of my least favorite people. She was a mean, ungrateful bully. Her dad, the war god, wanted to kill me. She tried to beat me to a pulp on a regular basis. Other than that, she was just about great. We've been working on something, Annabeth said. I'll see you later. Working on what? Annabeth glanced toward the forest. I'll tell Chiron you're here, she said. He'll want to talk to you before the hearing. What hearing? But she jogged down the path toward the archery field without looking back. Yeah, I muttered. Yeah, great talking to you too. As I made my way through camp, I said hi to some of my friends. In the big house's driveway, Connor and Travis Stoll from the Hermes cabin were hot-wiring the camp's SUV. Selena Beauregard, the head counselor for Aphrodite, waved at me from her pegasus as she flew past. I looked for Grover, but I didn't see him. Finally, I wandered into the sword arena, where I usually go when I'm in a bad mood. Practicing always helps calm me down. Maybe that's because swordplay is really the one thing I can actually understand. I walked into the amphitheater, and my heart almost stopped. In the middle of the arena floor, with its back to me, was the biggest hellhound I'd ever seen. I mean, I've seen some pretty big hellhounds. One the size of a rhino tried to kill me when I was 12, but this hellhound was bigger than a tank. I had no idea how it had gotten past the camp's magic boundaries. It looked right at home, lying on its belly, growling contentedly as it chewed the head off a combat dummy. It hadn't noticed me yet, but if I made a sound, I knew it would sense me. There was no time to go for help. I pulled out Riptide and uncapped it. Yeah! I charged. I brought down the blade on the monster's enormous backside when, out of nowhere, another sword blocked my strike. Clang! The hellhound picked up its ears.
I jumped back and instinctively struck at the swordsman, a gray-haired man in Greek armor. He parried my attack with no problem. Ah, wow there, he said. Truce. <laughs> the hellhound's bark shook the arena. That's a hellhound, I shouted. She is harmless, the man said. That is Mrs. O'Leary. What? Mrs. O'Leary. At the sound of her name, the hellhound barked again. I realized she wasn't angry, she was excited. She nudged the soggy, badly chewed target dummy toward the swordsman. <laughs> Good girl, the man said. With his free hand, he grabbed the armored minikin. What? Why is it spelled like that? Good grief. Ooh, M-A-N-I-K-I-N. Nope, hate that very much. With his free hand, he grabbed the armored mannequin by the neck and heaved it toward the bleachers. Get the Greek! Get the Greek! Mrs. O'Leary bounded after her prey and pounced on the dummy, flattening its armor. She began chewing on the helmet. The swordsman smiled dryly. He was in his fifties, I guess, with short gray hair and a clipped gray beard. He was in good shape for an older guy. He wore black mountain-climbing pants and a bronze breastplate strapped over an orange camp t-shirt. At the base of his neck was a strange mark. A purplish blotch, like a birthmark or a tattoo. But before I could make out what it was, he shifted his armor straps and the mark disappeared under his collar. Uh, Mrs. O'Leary is my pet, he explained. I couldn't let you stick a sword in her rump now, could I? That might have scared her. Who are you? You promised not to kill me if I put my sword away. I guess. He sheathed his sword and held out his hand. Quintus. I shook his hand. It was rough like sandpaper. Percy Jackson, I said. Sorry about... Uh, how'd you... Um... Get a hell on for a pet. Long story involving many close calls with death and quite a few giant chew toys. I am the new sword instructor, by the way. Helping out Chiron while Mr. D is away. Oh. I tried not to stare as Mrs. O'Leary ripped off the target dummy's shield with the arm still attached and shook it like a frisbee. Uh, wait. Oh. Uh, wait. Mr. D is away? Yes, well, busy times. Even Dionysus must help out. He's going to visit some old friends, make sure that they're on the right side. I probably shouldn't say more than that. If Dionysus was gone, that was the best news I'd had all day. He was only our camp director because Zeus had sent him here as a punishment for chasing off some off-limit wood nymph. He was only our camp director because Zeus had sent him here as a punishment for chasing some off-limits wood nymph. He hated the campers and tried to make our lives miserable. With him away, this summer might actually be cool. On the other hand, if Dionysus had gotten off his butt and actually started helping the gods recruit against the Titan threat, things must be looking pretty bad. Off to my left, there was a loud bump. Six wooden crates the size of picnic tables were stacked nearby and they were rattling. Mrs. O'Leary cocked her head and bounded toward them. Whoa, whoa, girl, Quintus said. Those are not for you. He distracted her with the bronze shield frisbee. 
The crates thumped and shook. There were words printed on the sides, but with my dyslexia, they took me a few minutes to decipher. Triple G Ranch. Fragile. This end up. Along the bottom, in smaller letters, open with care. Triple G Ranch is not responsible for property damage, maiming, or excruciatingly painful deaths. Hey, what's in the boxes? I said. A little surprise, Quintus said. A training activity for tomorrow night. You're going to love it. Uh, okay. I was, wasn't sure about the excruciatingly painful death part. Quintus threw the bronze shield, and Mrs. O'Leary lumbered after it. You young ones need more challenges. They didn't have camps like this when I was a young boy. You... you're a half-blood. I didn't mean to sound surprised, but I'd never seen an old demigod before. Quintus chuckled. Uh, some of us do survive into adulthood, you know. Not all of us are the subject of terrible prophecies. You know about my prophecy? I've heard a few things. I wanted to ask what few things, but just then Chiron clip-clopped into the arena. Percy, there you are. He must have just come from teaching archery. He had a quiver and bow slung over his number one centaur t-shirt. He'd trimmed his curly brown hair and beard for the summer, and his lower half, which was a white stallion, was flecked with mud and grass. I see you've met our new instructor. Karen's tone was light, but there was an uneasy look in his eyes. Quintus, do you mind if I borrow Percy? Not at all, Master Chiron. No need to call me Master, Chiron said, though he sounded sort of pleased. Come, Percy, we've got much to discuss. I took one more glance at Mrs. O'Leary, who was now chewing the target dummy's legs off. Well, I see ya, I told Quintus. As we were walking away, I whispered to Chiron, Quintus seemed kind of... Mysterious? Chiron suggested. Hard to read? Yeah. Chiron nodded. A very qualified half-blood. Excellent swordsman. I just wish I understood. Whatever he was going to say, he apparently changed his mind. First things first. Annabeth told me that you met some Emposai. Yeah. I told him about the fight at Good how Kelly had exploded into flames. Hmm, Chiron said. The more powerful ones can do that. She did not die, Percy. She simply escaped. It is not good that the she-demons are stirring. What were they doing there? I asked. Waiting for me? Possibly, Chiron frowned. It is amazing you survived. The powers of deception... Almost any male hero would have fallen under their spell and been devoured. Yeah, I would have been, I admitted, except for Rachel. Chiron nodded. Ironic to be saved by a mortal, yet we owe her a debt. What the Empusa said about the attack on camp, we must speak of this further. But for now, come, we should get into the woods. Grover will want you there. Where? At his formal hearing, Chiron said grimly. The Council of Cloven Elders is meeting now to decide his fate. 
Chiron said we needed to hurry, so I let him give me a ride on his back. As we galloped past the cabins, I glanced at the dining hall, an open-air Greek pavilion on a hill overlooking the sea. An open-air Greek pavilion on a hill overlooking the sea. It was the first time I had seen the place since last summer, and it brought back bad memories. Chiron plunged into the woods. Nymphs peeked out of the trees to watch us pass. Large shapes rustled in the shadows, monsters that were stocked in here as a challenge to the campers. I thought I knew the forest pretty well after playing Capture the Flag here for two summers, but Chiron took me away I didn't recognize, through a tunnel of old willow trees, past a waterfall, into a glade blanketed with wildflowers. A bunch of satyrs were sitting in a circle on the grass. Grover stood in the middle, facing three really old, really fat satyrs who sat on topiary thrones shaped out of rose bushes. I'd never seen the old satyrs before, but I guess they must be the Council of Cloven Elders. Grover seemed to be telling them a story. He twisted the bottom of his t-shirt, shifting nervously on his goat hooves. He hadn't changed much since last winter, maybe because satyrs age half as fast as humans. His acne had flared up. His horns had gotten a little bigger, so they just stuck out over his curly hair. I realized with a start that I was taller than he was now. Standing off to one side of the circle were Annabeth, another girl I'd never seen before, and Clarice. Chiron dropped me next to them. Clarice's stringy brown hair was tied back with a camouflage bandana. If possible, she looked even buffer, like she'd been working out. She glared at me and muttered, Punk! Which must have meant she was in a good mood. Usually she said hello by trying to kill me. Annabeth had her arm around the other girl, who looked like she had been crying. She was small, petite, I guess you'd call it. She was small. Petite, I guess you'd call it, with wispy hair the color of amber and a pretty elvish face. She wore a green quiton and laced sandals, and she was dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief. It's gone, gone terribly, she sniffled. No, no, Annabeth patted her shoulders. He'll be fine, Juniper. Annabeth looked at me and mouthed the words, Grover's girlfriend. At least... I thought that's what she said, but it didn't really make any sense. Grover had a girlfriend? And then I looked at Juniper more closely, and I realized her ears were slightly pointed. Her eyes, instead of being green from crying, her eyes, instead of being red from crying, were tinged green, the color of chlorophyll. She was a tree nymph, a dryad. Muster Underwood, the council member on the right shouted, cutting off whatever Grover was trying to say. Do you seriously expect us to believe this? Uh, but, uh, Silenus, Grover stammered, it's the truth. The council guy, Silenus, turned to his colleagues and muttered something. Chiron cantered up to the front and stood next to them. I remembered he was an honorary member of the council, but I'd never thought about it much. The elders didn't look very impressive. They reminded me of the goats at the petting zoo. Huge bellies, sleepy expressions, and glazed eyes that couldn't see past the next handful of goat chow. I wasn't sure why Grover seemed so nervous. Silenus tugged his yellow polo over his belly and adjusted himself in his rosebush throne. Master Underwood, for six months, six 
Months we have been hearing these scandalous claims that you hear the wild god Pan speak. But I did. Impudence, said the elder on the left. Now, madam, Chiron said, patience. Oh, patience indeed, Maron said. Had it up to my horns with this nonsense. If the wild god spoke, as if the wild god would speak to him. Juniper looked like she was going to charge the old satyr and beat him up, but Annabeth and Clarice held her back. Hey, wrong fight, girly. Clarice muttered. Wait. I don't know what surprised me more, Clarice holding someone back from a fight, or the fact that she and Annabeth, who despised each other, almost seemed like they were working together. For six months, Silenus continued, we have indulged you, Master Underwood. We let you travel. We allowed you to keep your searcher's license. We waited for you to bring proof of your preposterous claim. And what you have found in six months of travel is... I just need more time, Grover pleaded. Nothing, the elder in the middle chimed in. You found nothing. But... Zelenus raised his hand. Chiron leaned in and said something to the satyrs. The satyrs didn't look happy. They muttered and argued amongst themselves, but Chiron said something, and Selenus sighed. He nodded reluctantly. Master Underwood, Selenus announced, we will give you one more chance. Grover brightened. Thank you. One more week. What? But, sir, that's impossible. One more week, Master Underwood, and then if you cannot prove your claims, it will be time for you to pursue another career. Something to suit your dramatic talents. Puppet theater, perhaps, or tap dancing. But, sir, I, 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 I can't lose my searcher's license my whole life. This meeting of the council is adjourned, Selena said. And now let us enjoy our noonday meal. The old satyr clapped his hands, and a bunch of nymphs melted out of the trees with platters of vegetables, fruits, tin cans, and other goat delicacies. The circle of satyrs broke and charged the food. Grover walked dejectedly toward us. His faded blue t-shirt had a picture of a satyr on it. It read, Got Hooves? Hi, Percy, he said, so depressed he didn't even offer to shake my hand. That went well. Uh, those old goats, Juniper said. Oh, Grover, I, I don't know how hard you... Oh, Grover, they don't know how hard you tried. Mm. Uh, good grief, sorry. Sorry, sorry, I lost my place. Hold on, hold on. Let me just take this, like, this little bit of dialogue again, really quickly. Hi, Percy, he said. So depressed he didn't even offer to shake my hand. That went well, huh? Those old goats, Juniper said. Ah, oh, Grover, they don't know how hard you tried. Uh, there is another option, Clarice said darkly. No, no, Juniper shook her head. Grover, I won't let you. His face was ashen. I, I'll have to think about it. But we don't even know where to look. 
What are you talking about? I asked. In the distance, a conch horn sounded. Annabeth pursed her lips. I'll fill you in later, Percy. We better get back to our cabins. Inspection is starting. It didn't seem fair that I'd have to do a cabin inspection when I just got to camp, but that's the way it worked. Every afternoon, one of the senior counselors came around with a papyrus scroll checklist. Best cabins got first shower hour, which meant hot water guaranteed. Worst cabin got kitchen patrol after dinner. The problem for me, I was usually the only one in the Poseidon cabin, and I'm not exactly what you would call neat. The cleaning harpies only came through at the last day of the summer, so my cabin was probably just the way I'd left it on winter break. My candy wrappers and chip bags still on my bunk, my armor for capture, the f oh, my armor for capture the flag lying in pieces all over the cabin. I raced toward the commons area, where the twelve cabins, one for each Olympian god, made a U around the central green. The Demeter kids were sweeping out theirs and making fresh flowers grow on their window boxes. Just by snapping their fingers, they could make out honeysuckle vines bloom all over the doorway and daisies of the roof. Just by snapping their fingers, they could make honeysuckle vines bloom over the doorway and daisies cover the roof, which was totally unfair. I don't think they ever got last place in an inspection. The guys in the Hermes cabin were scrambling around in a panic, stashing dirty laundry under their beds and accusing each other of taking stuff. They were slobs, but they still had a head start on me. Over at the Aphrodite cabin, Selena Beauregard was just coming out, checking items off the inspection scroll. I cursed under my breath. Selena was nice, but she was an absolute neat freak, the worst inspector. She liked things to be pretty. I didn't do pretty. I could almost feel my arms getting heavy from all the dishes I would have to scrub tonight. The Poseidon cabin was at the end of the row of male god cabins on the right side of the green. It was made of gray, shell-encrusted sea rock long and low like a bunker, but it had windows that faced the sea and it always had a good breeze blowing through it. I dashed inside, wondering if maybe I could do a quick under-the-bed cleaning job like the Hermes guys, and I found my half-brother Tyson sweeping the floor. Mmm, Percy! He bellowed. He dropped his broom and ran at me. If you've never been charged by an enthusiastic cyclops wearing a flowered apron and rubber cleaning gloves, I'm telling you, it'll wake you up quick. Hey, 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 big guy, I said. Ah, oof, watch the ribs, the ribs. Oh. I managed to survive the bear hug. He put me down, grinning like crazy, his single calf-brown eye full of excitement. His teeth were as yellow and crooked as ever, and his hair was a rat's nest. He wore ragged XXXL jeans and a tattered flannel shirt underneath his flowered apron. But he was still a sight for sore eyes. I hadn't seen him in almost a year since he'd gone under the sea to work at the Cyclops Forges. Hey, uh, you okay? Oh, excuse me. You are okay? Hmm. 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 He asked. Hmm. Not eaten by mm, monsters. Not even a little bit. I showed him that I still had both arms and both legs, and Tyson clapped happily. Mmm, yay, he said. 
Now we can eat peanut butter sandwiches and ride fish ponies and we can fight monsters and see Annabeth and make things go boom. I hoped he didn't mean all at the same time, but I told him absolutely we would have a lot of fun this summer. I couldn't help smiling. He was so enthusiastic about everything. Eh, but first, I said, we gotta worry about the inspection. We should... Um... I looked around and realized Tyson had been busy. The floor was swept. The bed... The bunk beds were made. The saltwater fountain in the corner had been freshly scrubbed so the coral gleamed. On the windowsills, Tyson had set out water-filled vases with sea anemones and strange glowing plants from the bottom of the ocean. More beautiful than any flower bouquets the Demeter kids could whip up. Tyson, the cabin looks amazing. He beamed. Mm, see the fish ponies? I put them on the ceiling. Mm. A herd of miniature bronze hippocampi hung from sea... A herd of miniature bronze hippocampi hung on wires from the ceiling, so it looked like they were swimming through the air. I couldn't believe Tyson, with his huge hands, could make something so delicate. Then I looked over at my bunk, and I saw my old shield hanging on the wall. You, you fixed it! The shield had been badly damaged in a manticore attack last winter. But now it was perfect again. Not a scratch. All the bronze pictures of my adventures with Tyson and Annabeth and the Sea of Monsters were polished and gleaming. I looked at Tyson. I didn't know how to thank him. Then somebody behind me said, Oh my. Selena Beauregard was standing in the doorway with her scream go wonky. Selena Beauregard was standing in the doorway with her inspection scroll. She stepped into the cabin, did a quick twirl, and raised her eyebrows at me. Well, I had my doubts, but you clean up nicely, Percy. I'll remember that. She winked at me and left the room. Tyson and I spent the afternoon catching up and just hanging out, which was nice after a morning of getting attacked by demon cheerleaders. We went down to the forge and helped Beckendorf from the Hephaestus cabin with his metalworking. Tyson showed us how he'd learned to craft magic weapons. He fashioned a flaming double-bladed war axe so fast even Beckendorf was impressed. While he worked, Tyson told us about his year under the sea. His eye lit up when he described the Cyclopes' forges, in the palace of Poseidon, but he also told us how tense things were. The old gods of the sea, who'd ruled during Titan times, were starting to make war on our father. When Tyson had left, battles had been raging all over the Atlantic. Hearing that made me feel anxious, like I should be helping out, but Tyson assured me Dad wanted us both at camp. Hmm, lots of bad people above the sea, too. Hmm, hmm. Tyson said. Mmm, we can make them go boom. Hmm. After the forges, we spent some time at the canoe lake with Annabeth. She was really glad to see Titan. Titan. She was really glad to see Tyson, but I could tell she was distracted. 
She kept looking over the forest, like she was thinking about Grover's problem with the council. I couldn't blame her. Grover was nowhere to be seen, and I felt really bad for him. Finding the lost god Pan had been his lifelong goal. His father and his uncle had both disappeared following the same dream. Last winter, Grover had heard a voice in his head. I await you. A voice he was sure belonged to Pan, but apparently his search had led nowhere. If the council took away his searcher's license now, it would crush him. What's this other way? I asked Annabeth. That thing that Clarice mentioned. She picked up a stone and skipped it across the lake. Something Clarice scouted out. I helped her a little this summer, but it would be dangerous, especially for Grover. Hmm. 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 Goat boy scares me, Tyson murmured. I stared at him. Tyson had faced down fire-breathing bulls and sea monsters and cannibal giants. Why? Hmm. Okay, why would you be scared of Grover? Hmm. Hooves and horns. Hmm. Hmm. Tyson muttered nervously. Hmm. And goat fur makes my nose itchy. Hmm. Hmm. And that pretty much ended our Grover conversation. Before dinner, Tyson and I went to the sword arena. I think there was some echo there, sorry. Before dinner, Tyson and I went down to the sword arena. Quintus was glad to have our company. He still wouldn't tell me what was in the wooden crates, but he did teach me a few good sword moves. The guy was good. He fought the same way that some people play chess, like he was putting all the moves together and you couldn't see the pattern until he made the last stroke and then won with his sword point at your throat. A good try, he told me, but your sword is too low. He lunged and I blocked. Have you always been a swordsman? I asked. He parried my overhead cut. I have been many things. He jabbed and I sidestepped. His shoulder strap slipped down and I saw that mark on his neck, the purple blotch. But it wasn't a random mark. It definitely had a shape. A bird with folded wings, like a quail or something. What's that on your neck? I asked, which was probably a rude question, but you can blame my ADHD. I tend to blurt things out. Quintus lost his rhythm. I hit his sword hilt and knocked the blade out of his hand. He rubbed his fingers. Then he shifted the armor to hide the mark. It wasn't a tattoo, I'd realized. It was an old burn, like he had been branded. A reminder... He picked up his sword and forced a smile. Now, shall we go again? He pressed me hard, not giving me any time for more questions. While he and I fought, Tyson played with Mrs. O'Leary, who he called Little Doggy. He had a great time wrestling for the bronze shield and playing Get the Greek. By sunset, Quintus hadn't even broken a sweat, which seemed kind of strange. But Tyson and I were hot and sticky, so we got the showers and got ready for dinner. I was feeling good. It was almost like a normal day at camp. Then dinner came, and all the campers lined up by the cabins and marched into the dining pavilion. 
Most of them were ignored. Then dinner came, and all the campers lined up by cabin and marched into the dining pavilion. Most of them ignored the sealed fissure in the marble floor at the entrance. A ten-foot-tall jagged... Rats. A ten-foot-long jagged scar that hadn't been there last summer. But I was careful to step over it. Hmm. Big crack. Hmm. Tyson said when we were at our table. Hmm. Earthquake, maybe. Hmm. No, I said. Not an earthquake. I wasn't sure what I should tell him. It was a secret only Grover and Annabeth and I knew. But looking at Tyson's big eye, I knew I couldn't hide it from him forever. Nico D'Angelo, I said, lowering my voice. He's this half-blood kid that we brought to camp last winter. He, um, he asked me to guard his sister on a quest, and I failed. Now he blames me. Tyson frowned. So, hmm. Hmm. He put a crack in the floor. These skeletons attacked us, I said. Nico told them to go away, and the ground just opened up and swallowed them. Nico... I looked around to make sure no one else was listening. Nico is a son of Hades. Tyson nodded thoughtfully. The god of dead people. Hmm. Yeah. So the Nico boy is... Hmm. Gone now. I guess. I, I, I tried to search for him this spring, so did Annabeth, but we didn't have any luck. This is secret, Tyson, okay? If anybody found out that he's a son of Hades, he'd be in some danger. You can't even tell Chiron. Hmm. The bad prophecy, Tyson said. Titans might use him hmm. if they knew. I stared at him. Sometimes it, was, sometimes it was easy to forget that as big and childlike as he was, Tyson was pretty smart. He knew that the next child of the big three gods, Zeus, Poseidon, or Hades, who turned 16, was prophesied to either save or destroy Mount Olympus. Most people assumed that meant me, but if I died before I turned 16, the prophecy could just as easily apply to Nico. Exactly, I said. So, hmm... Mouth sealed, Tyson promised. Mm, like the crack in the ground. I had trouble falling asleep that night. I lay in bed listening to the waves on the beach the owls and monsters in the woods. I was afraid, once I drifted off to sleep, I would have nightmares. See, for half-bloods, dreams are hardly ever just dreams. We get messages. We glimpse things that are happening to our friends or enemies. Sometimes we even get a glimpse into the past or future. And at camp, my dreams were becoming more frequent and vivid. So I was still awake around midnight, staring back at the bunk bed mattress above me, when I realized there was a strange light in the room. The saltwater fountain was glowing. 
I threw off the covers and walked cautiously toward it. Steam rose from the hot salt water. Rainbow colors shimmered through it, and though there was no light in the room except for the moon outside, steam rose from the hot water. Walder? What? Steam rose from the hot salt water. Rainbow colors shimmered through it, though there was no light in the room except for the moon outside. Then a pleasant female voice spoke over the steam. Please deposit one drachma. I looked over at Tyson, but he was still snoring. He sleeps about as heavily as a tranquilized elephant. I didn't know what to think. I'd never gotten a collect iris message before. One golden drachma gleamed at the bottom of the fountain. I scooped it up and tossed it through the mists. The coin disappeared. Oh, iris, goddess of the rainbow, I whispered. Show me, uh, whatever it is that you need to show me. The mist shimmered. I saw the dark shore of a river. Wisps of fog drifted across black water. The beach was strewn with jagged volcanic rock. A young boy squatted at the riverbank, tending a campfire. The flames burned an unnatural blue color, and I saw the boy's face. It was Nico D'Angelo. He was throwing pieces of paper into the fire. Mythomagic trading cards, part of the game that he'd been obsessed with last winter. Nico was only ten, or maybe eleven by now, but he looked older. His hair had grown longer. It was shaggy and almost touched his shoulders. His eyes were dark. His olive skin had turned paler. He wore ripped black jeans and a battered aviator's jacket that was several sizes too big, unzipped over a black shirt. His face was grimy, his eyes a little wild. He looked like a kid who'd been living on the streets. I waited for him to look at me. No doubt he would get crazy angry, start accusing me of letting his sister die, but he didn't seem to notice. I stayed quiet, not daring to move. If he hadn't sent this iris message, who had? Nico tossed another trading card into the blue flames. Useless, he muttered. I can't believe I ever liked this stuff. A childish game, master, another voice agreed. It seemed to come from near the fire, but I couldn't tell who was talking. Nico stared across the river. At the far shore was black beach. At the far shore was black beach shrouded in haze. I recognized it. The underworld. Nico was camping at the edge of the river Styx. I failed, he muttered. There's no way to get her back. The other voice kept silent. Nico turned toward it doubtfully. Is there? Speak. Something shimmered. I thought it was just firelight. Then I realized it was the form of a man. A wisp of blue smoke. A shadow. 
If you looked at him head-on, he wasn't there. But if you looked out of the corner of your eye, you could make out his shape. A ghost. It has never been done, the ghost said. But there may be a way. Tell me, Nico commanded. His eyes shined with a fierce light. An exchange, the ghost said. A soul for a soul. I've offered, not yours, the ghost said. You cannot offer your father a soul he will eventually collect anyway. Nor will he be anxious for the death of his son. A soul that should have died already. Someone who has cheated death. Nico's face darkened. Not that again. You're talking about murder. I'm talking about vengeance. The ghost said. Just. Those are not the same thing. The ghost laughed dryly. You will learn differently as you get older. Nico, scare Nico stared at the flames. Why can't I at least summon her? I want to talk to her. She would... She would help me. I will help you, the ghost promised. Have I not saved you many times? Did I not lead you through the maze and teach you to use your powers? Do you want revenge for your sister or not? I didn't like the ghost's tone of voice. He reminded me of a kid at my old school. A bully who used to convince other kids to do stupid things like steal lab equipment and vandalize the teacher's cars. The bully never got in trouble himself, but he got tons of other kids suspended. Nico turned from the fire so that the ghost couldn't see him, but I could. A tear traced its way down his face. Very well. You have a plan. Oh, yes, the ghost said, sounding quite pleased. We have many dark roads to travel. We must start. The image shimmered. Nico vanished. A woman's voice from the mist said, Please deposit one drachma for another five minutes. There were no other coins in the fountain. I grabbed for my pockets, but I was wearing pajamas. I lunged for the nightstand to check for spare change, but the iris message had already blinked out, and the room went dark again. The connection was broken. I stood in the middle of the cabin, listening to the gurgle of the saltwater fountain and the ocean waves outside. Nico was alive. He was trying... He was trying to bring his sister back from the dead. 
and I had a feeling I knew what soul he wanted to exchange. Someone who had cheated death. Vengeance. Nico D'Angelo would come for me. And that is the end of our final chapter for the evening. Woof! Stream go very wonky, methinks. Yes, would y'all agree at this? <laughs> y'all, I, I got my chair like creaking and squeaking and stuff, and my I can't like I'm, I got that's gonna be a, a heavy edited episode, heavily edited. Um, but we made it through. We did it. We are done with all of the rereads. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And uh, I'm seeing some interesting stuff over here in chat, so let's talk about that real quick. Kerfos says, poor Grover can't catch a break. And you are not wrong, Kerfos. Um, I think that is, you know, it's a big, it's not quite a chatter break question, because I try to keep those sort of couched in like um, a bit of, you know, just sort of dipping our toes into literary analysis. Just talking about our our characters a little bit more, talking about our uh, the, the plot analysis and the themes and such. But just in general, I mean, that is pretty huge, right? What is the deal with Grover and what is going on out in the woods? There is there is this sort of familiar element that we have explored before, right? In other other series like this. Um, the idea of that sort of in the injustice of the, the, the evil of like unfairness, right? Right now, Percy is in his unfairness phase. There's a lot of discussion happening around him that he can't be a part of or won't be a part of or is being actively excluded from. There's still a lot going on, right? There's a ton going on. Uh, and Percy would love to understand it all better, but he's in this moment right now that, like I said, we've explored it a bit before. People won't talk to him. They won't tell him about things like this. I want to say hello to 932, by the way. How's it going, bud? Welcome back. Um, missed you yesterday, but uh, we are we are we just finished up with chapter two of uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Battle of the Labyrinth, and that is the last chapter we're going to be doing tonight because I am already way over time. <laughs> Big Mama says, "Wow, what a read! It was a pretty good one." Um, uh, like overall, the, 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 the text was good. My performance of it, I would call pretty whack. And can I tell you all, by the way, I, it's great that y'all are excited to see Tyson. That is fantastic to me. I'm really glad that you are enjoying how that character's coming off. Um, certainly it's like a, it is a well-written character for sure. The weird thing for me is that I was having a lot of trouble with the voices into this. I don't know if it was just that like I, I had been reading Harry Potter earlier tonight, and then I had to switch over into a whole different series, but it only really clicked into place. Once we got to Ty to Tyson, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm back into it. It was funny. For some reason, Tyson is like, he's my totem uh, that I can sort of hold on to, and like, I, I sort of felt like, okay, I'm getting settled back in now once we got to Tyson. Just kind of funny. Just kind of interesting. Um, 
you know, even though Percy is kind of the, the big shot here, it wasn't his voice that got me like settled back into the Percy Jackson series. Uh, y'all, thank you a ton for being here. Kerfo says, awesome, gotta run. Thanks, Sam, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you as well. Thank you a ton for being here, Kerfos. Thank you so much for being so generous earlier. Uh, it is fantastic to have you here, as always. Uh, Grimlikin, you are very welcome. It's great to have you here. Uh, Orly Rose, Tanisha, Big Mama, Sander, Dahlia, Jade, y'all are fantastic. It is wonderful to have you all here. Uh, and let me see, who's listening over in Discord? We've got, well, a lot of folks whose names I've already read. I see Louise, Gems, Sander, Rose, and Jade. Y'all, thank you a ton. It's been glorious to be here with you all. Uh, don't forget, as I mentioned, book fair is coming up. And what does that mean? It means I'm going to be asking a bunch of stuff about uh, like what y'all want to see and when we want to do certain things. And the first one I'm asking is for sound bites. That is a there is a um, uh, there is a channel over in Discord called Book Fair, and within that there is a um, a thread titled Sound Bites. For those of you who are joining a bit late today. I want you to send me stuff you want me to read. It can be anything from a tweet that you think would be funny to hear, um, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Weasley read out loud. Anything from that all the way to, like, maybe you've done some writing and you want me to sort of, like, give your characters some voices. Y'all are going to have a chance to, like, give me some some direction on the, on the performances there, what kind of voices you want to hear, that sort of stuff. So send me those. I am very enthusiastic about seeing what y'all send me. This is going to be open to everybody, and then it might be something I do much more regularly, um, kind of attached to Patreon later on. This is kind of a, a chance to test some things out, and it's been glorious to try some things. Uh, and although the stream has voted for Side Karaoke to be a uh, its own independent stream later on, I'm going to tell you that uh, based on the fact that it appears to be there appears to be a couple of birthdays up in the mix. It looks like we're going to get a side karaoke anyway. But just this one. Okay. So, Big Mama and Eskar Lovett. I want you both to tell me <laughs> which characters you want. Uh, Deb and uh, Big Mama. I want to hear which characters you want. And they're going to try and sing it in tandem. Unless y'all both are both agree on like, we, we want the same voice. <laughs> Even though I think it would be a little bit more wacky to try it with both. Long stream today, folks. And I think this will be our last, like, super, super long one for a while. I think we're going to be back to, like, three hours as opposed to four, which is what we're approaching right now. Um, but I'm looking at four hours for most of the uh, most of the, the book fair stuff. Uh, and I'm talking, like, four hours times two per day. So there we go. All right. Big Mama has asked for Mr. D, and Deb has asked for Tyson. So... Let's see if I can sing a song as two different characters at once. That's right, folks. Uh, keep your eyes on, <laughs> keep your eyes on the hat because I'm about to pull a rabbit out of it. Okay, let me see. Um, not sure this is uh, altogether worth it, but I suppose if I'm not observing the birthdays, what am I really doing here? Hmm. Hmm. Happy birthday to you. Hey, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Mm. Happy birthday, Deb. Mm. Happy birthday, babe, big mama, or whoever you are. 
Happy birthday to... Did you stop? What did you stop? You just stopped. Uh, happy birthday to you. Oh, he's playing with the dog. All right. Oh, uh, that's it then. Here, just uh, get get back to your cabins. All right. It's over. It's uh, it's done. It's done. Go back to your cabins. That's it. That's all you got. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully that was appropriate. I needed some narrative reason for there to like for one character to just stop. I guess it seemed appropriate. Oh boy. Y'all, thank you a ton for being here. Happy birthday to you both. Uh, Saucy Pop says, Sam, what's up, my man? Glad to see you vibing and thriving. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Vibing and thriving thanks to, well, <laughs> thanks to these maniacs. Deb, thank you a ton. Uh, thank you a bunch. And by the way, Deb, I just want to say, good to see you like up in here chatting. It's good to have you in here. I appreciate you. I hope you had a great birthday. What uh, what was on the birthday menu for y'all? Um, maybe not literal menu, but just sort of like, what was up? What you get yourself up to over the past uh, past few days, y'all? As we've had a couple of birthdays up in the mix, and you, <laughs> you maniacs, you maniacs. <laughs> All right. Well, S. Carlovit slash Deb, thank you a ton. Dahlia, thank you, and Sander, thank you for the bits. Um, as Dahlia likes to put it, Hype Train 2.0, go. This is Hype Train the Squeakquel, baby, back in action. <laughs> All right, you big nerds, you punk ruffians. We do indeed have another, uh, we've got another side karaoke coming up. So, hey, if we hit numbers, I will add on to this. But I just want to say, all right, that I, I want to make it very clear. This didn't start out as like, I, I, I've never been like trying to like dangle side karaoke in front of it. Like, ah, ah. Ah, uh, hype train, come on, come on. Y'all have been crazy generous, and this seems like... I, I, I want to continue to thank you in ways that y'all seem like you want to be thanked. So, y'all, thank you so very much. So very much. Orly Rose says, okay, tiny bit of personal info. That's my first name, and it's wigging me out a bit. <laughs> I see. You're not just You're not just Rose? You're not just Rose everywhere? Mama says, new haircut, dinner with my amazing kids. That sounds fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you look fresh to death. And then uh, I, I'm pretty sure I just snapped one of my buttons really hard against my ear, my headphones, and I think some piece of plastic just flew off. I don't know if it was button or headphones. I guess we'll have to find out later. Also, my collar is like all wonked out. I'm just gonna keep it popped. Is this cool? Is this cool for you? How does this, does this seem good? Am I cool now? Folks, am I cool now? Does this look cool? Tell me if this is cool. <laughs> look, I look ridiculous. <laughs> Especially with this cheese ball shirt on. I Look, we got laundry day coming up, I think. All I know is... It, actually, you know what it is? It's not laundry day. It's that I went ahead... I went ahead and didn't put any of my clothes back in the closet where they're supposed to be. So I've just got shirts, like, lying around in various places. But that means I'm wearing my, my, my wackiest shirt. That's right. I know you're shocked uh, for someone who keeps it so, so razzmatazz as I do, but this is like one of the weirder shirts that I own. I don't have a bunch of like really strange ones. Except I do have one that, that Mama Cass calls my paint shirt. Um, it's a big, like super, super oversized work shirt. Uh, and that means that it's super long. And so it goes down like sort of peacoat length. And I love that one. Maybe I'll have to, I'll have to wear that for like a, 
a crafting. I'll probably wear that for the crafting stream if I remember, which I won't. Um, no, I'll ruin it. <laughs> Y'all, thank you so much. Uh, S. Carlovit, uh, aka Deb, has decided to just uh, absolutely annihilate things here at the end. T taking us from like partway through level one to halfway through level four. So, S. Carlovit, Deb, Deb. See, here's the problem. You didn't introduce yourself right away, or if you did, I missed it, and I'm terribly sorry. But now I like I know you by Escar Love It. Um, <laughs> Rutro, Rutro Raggy. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to reconfigure. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and figure it out though. We'll see if I can remember Deb. I for I for whatever reason was able to remember that mountain climbing guy. Last time he was in chat, he had somebody in the hospital. Um, and I was able to pull that memory out. I don't know. I don't know how my brain decides to prioritize memories. Can anybody help me out with that? What the deal is there? I consider myself an oral learner, if that helps. I learn sort of with sound for the most part. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Good grief, Escar Love It, <laughs> freaking me out. Escar Love It. <laughs> That's Carl Lovett dropping five thousand, a thousand bits, and then five thousand bits, and then <laughs> and then says, "I budgeted so much this week. Here's the rest, and then another five thousand. That I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, you are you are approaching like single night best. We've got a couple of folks who have made a real run at that, though, y'all. I think I think Mem Night kind of got it all kicked off, but then I mean, Dahlia has been flying that flag for quite a while now, and we got. <laughs> We got some true mania up in the up in the uh, up in the chat here. Another five hundred from from Deb. Deb, thank you so much. Deb carried this hype train. Y'all can thank Deb for this one, okay? <laughs> I think so. Uh, Dolly says, "Who's taking us to two hundred percent?" That's right. That's the that's the threshold. It's right there. It's on the horizon. <laughs> You've got two full minutes and at one hundred forty three percent. It's not even close. Y'all are y'all are nuts. Well, Deb. Um, I certainly hope that uh, you will be joining us for the side karaoke stream. I don't know if you are, but hey, it's been fantastic to have you here, uh, as it has been ha fantastic to have all of you. Uh, if all of you are sitting here, like, hype train is great, but that's not really, I, you know, I, I don't have the funds for it, or that's not really my thing, um, A... Patreon is fantastic. Uh, I've got a $3 tier over there, and I want to tell you all that, like, I, I, think, I think people underestimate how helpful that is. When a lot of people jump in at just like $3 for an entire month, that adds up really quickly. Um, and so I really appreciate at any level, anyone who jumps over to Patreon, um, I'm a big fan of Patreon and what they do and how they do it. They're a very like high integrity company. Um, for everything that I can find, of course, when you say high integrity company, it's almost an oxymoron at this point, but I really, really appreciate what they do. So Patreon is fantastic, but maybe even that's off the table for you. And if it is, that is absolutely fine. The best way you can help out the show, share that link around. Linktree slash sidecar stories, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. Uh, I will put it in chat right now. You can always use the links command at any time to pull up that thing. Uh, I've just been sitting here on this on this uh, this book cam here. I don't know why I'm doing that. Also, the numbers are wrong. Wah, wah, wah. Dahlia, thank you a ton. Everybody, uh, Dahlia, who's like swinging here at the end, and Jade Dragon, I see you. Thank you. But Dahlia in here with what? Just like a, a, a quick, just a real quick nine gift sub. Just... 
chucking them out into the world. Thank you all a bunch. I appreciate you all. I appreciate you all terribly. And of course, of course, that's more <laughs> that's more side karaoke up on the list. You absolute brunk puffians. You punk ruffians. And I don't what does that mean, Sander? Is that like is that the is that in um is that <laughs> in your language is that how they like signify a dog barking? Cuz it, it seems like like that it's got sort of those those syllables involved, I suppose. Is that like roughly it? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Sander. If there if Dolly needs to help me with French, I need much much more help <laughs> with the words that you are putting in with me right now. Jade says, mine was a, uh, a tap. Dolly was an uppercut. Yeah, Dolly, hey, look. It was the setup. It was the, it was the set and then the spike. Y'all are, y'all are fantastic, okay? I just want to make sure that is on the record. And I'm going to put that on the record by doing a side karaoke stream for y'all. Everybody, I appreciate you so, so dearly. Um, I have been streaming for an extra hour. Uh, Mama Cass is back in here. I am sure wondering, uh, hey, what's the deal, Cap? Uh, and so I am going to go hang out with her now. I'm going to eat something. Everybody, you're glorious. And I hope that I will see you again next week. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays. Tuesday, Murder on the Orient Express. Wednesday, awesome world building for the realm of Recetus. Thursdays, you know what it is. I'll see y'all later. Sander, Dahlia, Jade Dragon, Big Mama. I'll see y'all later. Ah, goodbye. Goodbye. I got to scroll up to find more names. <laughs> Orly Rose. Goodbye. Roll it. Intikana, I know you were in here earlier. <laughs> Deb, Saucy Pops. Goodbye. Kerfos. Ah, oh, I'm turning into a ghost. <laughs> Why am I turning into a ghost? Goodbye. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. I forgot. We're going to raid. <laughs> Off we go to Critical Role. Uh, Y'all, I believe they are very well on the cusp of starting their third big, big arc. So, hey, head on over there and uh, get you get you some excitement for our next big arc in the realm of Recetus. Bye, folks.